You're listening to ICCYG Youth Group Messages with me, Matt Jones. Hey guys, um, so we're breaking away now from from First Thessalonians, and this uh, next episode is going to be from First Timothy. It's First Timothy chapter four, verses six through eleven. Um, like I said, the last section of First Thessalonians, the last part of chapter four, verses thirteen through eighteen, unfortunately uh, was not recorded. I did do that message uh after i got back from my training in at fort lee virginia um but i I apparently didn't record it so um eventually i'm gonna i'll record that for you guys Uh, i'll get my old notes and uh i'll probably update them um but i'll re-record that message for you so you can listen and listen to it up on here um, but I hope you enjoy this uh, upcoming episode of First Timothy chapter four, verses six through eleven. Uh, I think I'm going to keep this this podcast going. Uh, if I find more recordings, I I probably will. Uh, just here and there. Um, if I find more, then I'll post them uh, of me at Imperial Community Church. Maybe even some from uh, other churches, and that way. That way, it's available for you guys, and I want to, I want to still help. I want to still be a, a voice, uh, in you guys to help, and um, hopefully a voice of clarity. Uh, I hope that that you'll uh, feel free to reach out, and I really just, I really care about you guys, um, in general. I really care about you guys, and I, I love you guys, each and every one of you. I think about you guys, and I really want you guys to uh, to profit from these. I really want you guys to excel and to grow and to find your hope and your trust, and and that you trust in the Lord. To find your hope in the Lord, and that you would trust the Lord. Um, I really hope that that you. Uh, you guys would 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 do that and like i said before in the previous episode if if you need to ask any questions you can contact me uh, my cell phone number you probably all still have it but it's uh, 760-498-9673 if i don't answer leave a leave a uh, a voicemail or you can text me just to explain who you are and and what uh, what you want to talk about, and um, or you can email me at this email, and that's iccygmessages at gmail dot com. That's i c c y g m e s s a g e s at gmail dot com. Um, please don't hesitate if you have any questions concerning salvation, concerning your walk with Christ. Um, it really is the most important thing. There's there's literally nothing else that's more important than where you stand before God. Are you standing before him as a sinner condemned to suffer for your sins for all the rest of eternity? Um, to be a vessel of wrath where God's wrath will be poured out onto you? Um, or are you going to stand before God 
as a, a, a redeemed sinner with Christ's righteousness cloaked onto you? Um, that's the, that's the main question of of all of our lives. That is the central issue. That is the central, most important question that we're all going to ask um, ourselves. And um, and I really hope that you take to take the time today, right now, to think about it, think through it very clearly, very carefully. Um, all right. Well, I hope you enjoy this upcoming episode once again. Uh, it's from First Timothy. And uh, um, I'll talk to you later. So, yeah, we're going to be in First Timothy today. First Timothy chapter 4. And that's going to be from verses 6 to 11. So let's read that. First Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 11. Jonathan, we'll start with you. How does that sound? Yeah. And then, and then we'll head First uh, Timothy chapter 4, starting with verse 6, and then we'll head to the left. Okay. If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. Nathan, that's uh, verse 7, chapter 4. Can you read that one? Here, you can read that one. But I will not do to do what worldly fails. Fail. Um, only old for old women on the earth had other and this discipline discipline yourself for the purpose of God knows. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Um, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. And for this we labor and strive that we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all men especially the, of those who believe. And then verse 11. Uh, these things command and teach. All right, thank you. Let me pray. Lord God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that you love us. Thank you that you brought us here out of your love. Thank you for the lesson that you're going to teach us. We just pray that you would be blessed, uh, uh, that you would be glorified through it. And you would uh, help us to understand more about you, help us to understand more about how to be a faithful and useful servant uh, for you, God. I pray that you would help us as we uh, uh, look into this passage. I pray that through your Holy Spirit we would uh, learn and uh, that you would change our hearts so we could be more like you, God. Thank you for everything that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.
So, how do you feel? How do you guys feel about the thought that you are a servant or a slave? Is the actual word? How do you guys feel about that? You are a slave. Here in the United States, we don't like that very much. Do you guys like to be called a slave? Uh-oh. You guys like to be called a slave? Who likes to be called a slave? Nope. No? I would. Well, everybody is a slave. For that Everybody old. is a slave. Either you are a slave, if you know Christ, if you know Christ and you're one of His, then you are a slave for, um, him. for him. You are God's, Christ's slave, a slave for God. If you are not a Christian, if you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, you're a slave to sin and a slave to Satan and in league with him. And you, uh, you do uh, a lot of sinful things. So, we want to be slaves for God, right? Given those two options, and those are really the only two options, whether we like it or not. Uh, we like the idea of having freedom and having, you know, being able to do whatever we want and uh, having independence in ourselves, but really there's no independence. We, if whatever independence we have is false independence um, because either, either we're slave, slave to God or we're a slave to sin. We want to be a slave to God because that is true freedom, right? True freedom lies in being a slave to God. That's what we were created for. That's, that's what we, uh, in serving Him, we were created to serve God and to glorify Him. Uh, that's where we're going to find our happiness and our joy and our peace. That's where we're going to find any true happiness, joy, or peace. So what's the reason I say that? The reason I say that is because I want you guys to get the idea that being a slave for Christ is a good thing. That's where we're going to be fulfilled in, our, in this life. That's how we're going to find true, true joy. What, is, what does Christ say? That he says that my yoke is easy and my burden is light, as opposed to the, all the rules that this world comes up with. He's talking to the Pharisees. You know, they, they made a whole bunch of rules, to additions to the laws, so that nobody, I mean, it was even harder than it was to keep the law. But following Christ is, is easy. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. So, uh, in pointing out these things to the brethren, who's he talking to? Who's Paul talking to when he's writing this? He's writing to Timothy, right. Now, Timothy is one of the three people who were with Paul when we were talking about you know, Thessalonians, right? Uh, Timothy is the one who went to the church in Thessalonica and brought back that good report, that positive report to, to Paul. So, um, hold on, Nathan. Here, I, I got a pen right here. Uh, Timothy is... Uh, so, in this book, in this context... Paul's writing to Timothy because Timothy is uh, in Ephesus at this point. And he's pastoring the church here in Ephesus, this small church, and uh, he's, he's, he's leading it. 
So the book of First Timothy is read as Paul writing to Timothy, who's a young pastor, and he's given him instructions on how to govern this church. Timothy is known as one of the pastoral epistles because of this. Um, Timothy is a young pastor in need of some guidance and assistance, so that's what Paul's doing. Paul is sending him this, uh, this letter to help him out with that. And this passage right here is talking about what a good servant of Christ looks like, what a good slave of Christ looks like. So that's why I was kind of uh, uh, talking about slavery a little bit, you know, spiritual slavery. Because we need to understand that being a good a slave for Christ is a good thing. And if we can understand that, then, then our next logical step is to find out how can we be the best slave we can for Christ, right? How, what can we do to be the best slave for Christ? So what does a good servant of Christ look like? What are the qualities that he possesses? Uh, here, in general, I think that we all really want to serve God. Like, we really, truly desire to serve God. And of course, we want to be the very best servant we can of Him, for Him. Uh, what does that look like practically? And that's what we're going to be talking about a little tonight. So, Timothy was Paul's true child in the faith. Paul left Timothy in Ephesus to shepherd the church there. And there he was protecting them against some false teachings. So, as I was talking about, the purpose of this book is threefold. It's to encourage Timothy to grow as a Christian himself and as a leader. It's to give instructions regarding the organization of the church to help him to lead the church more effectively. And it's to address the issue of false teachers in the church who are teaching the wrong doctrine, especially the specifically heresy. Uh, It's not mentioned here. But a lot of theologians, most theologians, would attribute it to Gnosticism. Uh, We talked about Gnosticism quite a bit a long time ago. I don't know how many of you guys were here to hear that. But if you look at verse uh, 6, excuse me, chapter 6, verse 20, here in 1 Timothy, he says, O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding worldly and empty chatter and opposing... Uh, arguments of what is falsely called knowledge. That's why most theologians would attribute this false, this heresy to Gnosticism. Because Gnosticism gets its name from the Greek word gnosis, which means knowledge. Um, and they, they had a lot of wacky beliefs. Uh, they were preaching that Christ didn't come in the flesh. They Christ, basically a uh, major branch of Gnosticism called Docetism believed that all spiritual stuff was good, everything spirit was good, everything physical was bad, evil. Uh, so um, Jesus couldn't have come in the flesh. He couldn't have been incarnate, right? He couldn't have come as a man because that means that he would have taken on something evil onto him. Uh, so there's a whole gospel of Thomas, I believe, um, that was written. It's not part of the Bible at all because it's, uh, it, in it it says that he witnessed Jesus walking and he looked and there was no footsteps. And he, he, he observed Jesus for a long period of time and he realized that Jesus never blinked. Um, weird stuff like that. Stuff that's not true. So, um, anyway, Gnosticism. 
probably what is uh, being uh, contested here, but we don't really know for sure. The theme of this book is instructions for the organization of the church. And the theme of this particular section is, has been described as the qualities of an excellent minister. Oh, who was it yours who, who uh, in verse... Six. Yeah, verse 6 said, uh, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ? Is that what yours said? Uh, yeah, a good minister of Jesus Christ. Okay. And what is that, the New King James? That's the... Only in KJV. Yeah, New King James. So it says New King James. So that word minister is servant. It's actually uh, actually more like slave. So the slave of Jesus Christ. Qualities of an excellent minister or excellent slave. Uh, this is the occasion of this letter. And it's to instruct Timothy on the organization of the church. There's also evidence here that Timothy was in need of encouragement in the midst of this challenging ministry, all this stuff coming from all different directions. Therefore, Paul wrote this letter to Timothy to encourage him and to provide him as a, a leader uh, instructions and uh, for the organization of the church. Um, so yeah, that word right there for servant and verse 6 is diakonos. Diakonos. And it's typical from the... Uh, typical, uh, different from the typical word used for uh, slave. Do you guys know what that word is? The typical u- word used for slave? The only reason I ask is because it's kind of popular. It starts with a D. Doulas. Doulas is the typical word for... Dulas is has the idea of like a slave under bondage, right? Dulas. That's a, a slave that's in bondage. That's a typical word that's usually used. So whenever Paul, even at the beginning of this one, Paul, an apostle of Christ, not this one. A lot of the times in Paul's. Uh, uh, Introductions in his letters, he talks about Paul, he's the slave of Christ, right? He uses this word, do love. This word is different. It's diakonos. And this word has more to do with the idea of a useful slave. A useful slave for God. Or a slave with a lot of use. Uh, that you can use for a lot of different things. A useful slave that teaches the word of God. Diakonos. So, I'm going to break up this into three parts or three categories. Or three qualities. Three qualities of a useful slave. Maybe I'm not stepping into that right Okay. Um, so the first one we see in verse 6 is a good teacher. A useful slave is a good teacher. What's it say in verse 6? It says, In pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be good servant or slave of Christ Jesus. 
constantly nourished on the words of the faith and in the sound doctrine which you have been following. These things refers to what is Paul uh, talking about in verses 1 through 5. So let me read verses 1 through 5 real quick so we understand the context. But the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. By means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own consciences with a branding iron, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be greatly shared by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. For it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. So that's what Paul's talking about when he says, uh, in pointing out these things to the brethren. The false teachers were adding to the law. That's what we can see here. Uh, men who forbid marriage. These guys were forbidding marriage. Is there anything in the Bible that said, talks about forbidding marriage to somebody? Can you guys think of anything? No, it says it's not. You don't forbid marriage. In fact, it talks about marriage being a very good thing. Right? It says who finds a wife has found a good thing. So, these, these guys were forbidding marriage and they were advocating and abstaining from foods, from all the different foods. Is there any foods that are biblically wrong to eat Mm-mm. today? In the old... Testament, right? In the old law, there was a lot, right? You couldn't eat pigs, you couldn't eat shellfish, you couldn't yeah. eat, you couldn't you eat things with, eat, with hooves, um, split hooves. You can't eat berries because you get poisoned. Yeah, some things will poison you, but that's not really what we're talking about here. Um, but that's a good point, Ethan. Um, we don't, I mean, so they were adding to the law. They were saying, you can't, y'all can't get married, y'all can't eat certain things. And then he, he kind of refutes that. He kind of refutes that a little bit, right? He says, For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it's to be received with gratitude. So we can eat whatever we want nowadays, right? We're under the new covenant. We don't have to deal with that old, the old law anymore. We don't have to worry about uh, marriage. So, interesting in verse 2. Sort of a side note, but not really. He says, by means of hypocrisy of liars, seared in their own consciences with a branding iron. I'm going to talk about that a little bit. It says, it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer, and that the word of God informs our conscience, so that it is an accurate indicator of right and wrong. The word of God informs our conscience. You guys know what a conscience is? What's the conscience? I want a brief definition of a conscience. Knowing right and wrong. Knowing right and wrong. Does anybody else have another another definition? Your own words? Could it be the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit, yeah, it can inform our conscience. Our Holy the Holy Spirit and our conscience are actually separate two separate things. Yeah, so our conscience makes us feel guilt. 
basically, yeah, a conscience is what tells us what is right from wrong. And we can know what's right from wrong even though we don't have the Holy Spirit, right? Um, the unsaved person knows right from wrong. We can see that from Romans chapter 3. If you want to want to know more about the conscience, Romans chapter 3 is a good one. Actually, Romans chapter 2, excuse me. Romans chapter 2 is where we talk about the conscience. Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. Yeah, we're not going to turn there right now. But if you always want to study on your own, Romans chapter 2. So it says it's sanctified by the word of God. So... These guys, what their problem was, was they were letting their conscience be the determining factor in certain things. And so their consciences were being too sharp. They were sharpening their consciences too much to a point where they were saying, marriage is wrong, these types of foods are wrong, this and this and this and that. So our, we can get to a point where we sharpen our conscience too much. Right? And certain things that are okay to do, we feel like they're wrong. A lot of times people try to push that on other people, right? What are some examples of that? We call that legalism. On drugs. No, well, drugs are wrong no matter what. Unless they're prescribed to you. But, um, when people say that the King James Version is the only Bible you should be reading. Right. Somebody says to you, hey, the King James Version is wrong. I mean, sorry, the King James Version is the only thing that's right, and everything else is wrong. No, uh, that's not true, right? I mean, I have an NASB. Uh, a lot of you probably have uh, NIVs, right? Or uh, well, actually, most of you, I bet, have New King James, because that's the majority of what's up there. Uh, is that it? NASB? NASB, what's that? New King James. New King James? Uh... Here's probably New King James also. That's all right, though. New King James is good. If you're going to... Side note, if you're going to uh, evangelize to pretty much any cult, they're going... And you, if you're going to use your Bible, pretty much all of them only accept the New King James. So it, it, it's beneficial to get used to the New King James. Uh, Job's Witness, Mormons, they all use the New King James version of the Bible. Um, so... That was a side note, but it got so me off of So the conscience, these guys made it too sharp. There's a lot of ways we can do we do that today, and that's called what? Legalism. It's called legalism. When we're uh, trying to push our own conscience onto other people. Um, now, a lot of us suffer with the opposite of our conscience getting too dull, right? Uh, what are some ways we let our con conscience get too dull? And there's a bunch, a bunch of uh, answers to that one. Yeah. Um, when we know something's wrong, but we tell ourselves it's okay. Right. That's farther on down the road, right? We so first we do something that's wrong. We we excuse it. So example, real quick, just real quick, is lying, right? Yeah. Is not a big one where we can see our. Right. So that's that's what he's talking about in verse two right here. He says, uh, "The hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron." What does that mean? Searing your conscience. It has the idea of getting something real hot, right? Burning burning your conscience. 
so what happens? So what happens if you burn burn a piece of your skin so much you after a certain uh, point? You kill the nerves. You kill the nerves. We can't feel it anymore. You burn it to a point where you can't feel it anymore because you kill the nerves, right? And so it's just numb. That's what he's. T that's that's kind of the word picture he's he's presenting here. Burning your conscience with a branding iron. Um, and so we're doing that. So whenever we tell a lie, and then we're like, oh, it's okay because because maybe you know it, the truth would have been worse for them, or the truth the truth would have hurt more. Um, what do we just do? We kind of seared our conscience a little bit. We burned it a little bit. That way, the next time we lie, it's a little bit easier. And then we'll probably come up with an excuse again. Then the next time after that, it'll be a little easier. Until where are we? We're we're just pathological liars, right? We we just lie over nothing. And it seems like it seems like it takes a long time to get to that point, but it's really not. It's a slippery slope down. If you excuse one lie and say that's okay, like I just won't do it again next time. That's not how our consciences work. Our consciences. You just seared your conscience, you burned it. What we need to do whenever we, we'll stay with lying, whenever we lie, what, would, what, what do we need to do as soon as we realize, oh man, I just messed up, I lied right now to that person, what do we need to do? Confess. Right, confess to who? God. And then? And then, and then confess to who? Right, confess to that other person, hey, I'm sorry, I, what I told you was a lie. Will you forgive me? Okay. Right? Even though that's probably one of the hardest things, you know, depending on the situation we're oh, going to wow. have to do. Uh, I talk, we talked about repentance. And uh, from 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians chapter 7, right? And uh, what, is, what are some of the signs that Paul was talking about of genuine repentance? One of them was confession to, right, to God, but then uh, seeking to make it right, right? Seeking to make that wrong right. Uh, and part of that is confessing it to other people. Confessing it to the, all the people that that sin affected. So lying, we have to confess that sin to those people that it, was, that it affected, which are those who we lied to. So... It's very, just be very careful, guys, because lying's not the only one. Pornography, <coughs> um, what other? Theft. Uh, cussing. Cussing, that's a big one. Cussing. Uh, yeah, I mean, the list goes on, right? Of uh, sins that we can start doing, and start doing small, but then what are we doing? We're just slowly burning our conscience till we just don't feel it anymore. And then we, where are we? We're liars. We are cussing all the time. In prison, we're we're doing drugs. I mean, it's kind of funny, but it, it's not funny because it's true. If we start burning our conscience in enough places, what's going to happen? Like we're going to be in a situation where we're doing some pretty bad stuff. It's a slippery, slippery slope. So as soon as you guys catch yourself sinning, uh, repent right away. Ask God for forgiveness. And if that sin affected anybody, then uh, confess that sin to them. Here's the thing, though. You don't... 
Be careful with confession, because some people get overzealous with confession. They start telling everybody everything that they've ever done. Just, that's not that's not wise. There's not there's no wisdom in that because some of those people are going to tell other people, and soon everybody's going to know your deepest darkest secrets. And that's not that's not what we want. Be 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 careful with with your confession. Who you tell your sin to. R.C. Sproul says to act <clears throat> against conscience is always sin. So that's another sermon. To act against your conscience is always sin. But to act according to conscience is not always virtue. So if your conscience is telling you not to do something, even though the Bible doesn't really talk about it, if your conscience is telling you not to do something and you do it anyway, you're, you're sinning. So in some ways, in some ways, sin is a little subjective in that way. But to act according to your conscience is not always virtue. Why? Because we can sear it. We can burn it so that uh, um, we don't feel it anymore. Or it can be way too sharp, like these guys were making it. And so that they uh, were acting according to their conscience, but that's not, that's not virtuous. So Paul was pointing these things out to the brethren. And in pointing these things out, Paul was being what? He was being a useful slave, a diakonos. That's what, Tim, what Paul said. Paul said that if you point these things out, then... Uh, you're, so Paul, Timothy was being a good teacher to these people. That's what my point was about. He's being a good t- teacher because he is pointing these things out to uh, to the church here in Ephesus. He's being a good teacher of the, of the Word of God. So the next thing we're talking about here, uh, number two, a diakonas, useful slave, is a good uh, eater which is a little funky, and I might get the same combination, the same looks of confusion as I got when I did this for my class at Mastery Week. A good eater. When I was a, when I was a kid, all the way growing up until present times, I was always a very good eater. Uh, I never, I went through a picky phase, but my picky phase, I wouldn't eat uh, squash, and I didn't. I would eat them, but I really didn't like onions. That was it. I liked everything else. Um, that only lasted for a little bit. Like I love food. I love everything now. Anybody like that? Hey, food. Green yeah. No. Eric is very tricky. Yeah. Thank you, Matt. We're green that you're so good. Anyways. So. Can you? Can you guys, so talking about food, can you guys expect to eat like every once in a while, like maybe once a week, and be healthy, be good to go? Can you guys expect to be, to eat like once or twice a week and be healthy, be all right? So what does Paul say right here? He said, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and the sound doctrine which you've been following. Isn't that interesting that he uses the word there, nourished, kind of equating the Bible to food? 
that we eat. Some people are uh, okay with just you know being nourished on the Word of God on Sunday or on Thursday nights right here. Uh, and then the rest of the week they just kind of like put it on hold and focus on the rest of their lives and don't worry about it. Um, that's not, how are we going to properly train our conscience as we, we just saw from verses 1 through 5 on the Word of God so that they're not too sharp or too, or too dull? How are we going to do that? How are we going to learn more about God and learn how to be useful slaves and learn how to serve God better and how to abstain from sin? How are we going to do that if we're only eating the Word of God, if we're only reading and studying and learning more about God once a week? Or even, sometimes not even once a week, if we miss church. We should make this a daily habit, right? Just like eating. Do you guys miss meals? No. I, I, don't, I don't eat lunch. Like, I, I see it if it's like, because of school, you guys miss meals. But my stomach won't let me. Like, I'll, I'll find a way to find something to eat. Um, otherwise, I get all shaky and like, I just, I, I'm... I get hangry. <laughs> um, you guys need to be like that for your, your, your scripture. If you do it in the morning, wake up an hour earlier and read your Bible. I know that sounds horrible to some, to some of you. I've been a little convicted, actually, lately. I've been sleeping until like 7. You know. So I, uh, I've been getting up at 4 recently. Just because, just, uh, just because I, I need to get a lot of stuff done. I need, I, I really only have the mornings to do it. So I, uh, I've been getting up at four lately. So that was confession time for me to you guys. Uh, I've got too much stuff to do to sleep. Um, so sound doctrine. He's talking about. He said sound doctrine, right? He said constantly nerds on the words, words of the faith. What's the word of the words of the faith? Okay. The Bible, right? Constantly nerds on the words of the faith and, uh, and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. So the word there, sound doctrine, uh, the Greek is literally good doctrine as opposed to what? The doctrines of demons, right? That's what these guys were preaching. So we must be diligent to study the word and to discern what is right doctrine. How are we going to know what's right, what's right and wrong if we don't read, right? If we don't study, take the time. Put in the time, put in the work. <clears throat> and then the third thing here, the useful slave. He's a good athlete. Is anybody in sports in here right now? No, because I'm not bad athlete. No. I'm a bad athlete, so I'm not a sport. Probably, probably be considered a sport. Yeah, yeah. You, guys, you guys, you guys like, you guys exercise and stuff. This is why we You guys are disciplined. Swimming count. Swimming count. I have to work. You have long legs. I guess it's running. Carry on. So in verse seven, he says. He says, but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. But on the other hand, discipline yourselves for the purpose of godliness. Discipline yourselves. Uh, discipline. In, in, uh, in Peter's, Peter's books, he talks about 
disciplining yourself, right? Like a like a runner. He talks about a runner. He talks about a boxer. Um, actually, he talks about a boxer here. He says, "For bodily discipline is uh, only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come." So, uh, instead of worldly fables, discipline yourselves for the purpose of godliness. In First Corinthians nine, twenty-four through twenty-seven. First Corinthians nine. Uh, verses 24 through 27 Paul says do you not know that in a race that all runners run but only one receives the prize so that you may obtain it every athlete exercises self control in all things they do it to receive a perishable wreath but we an imperishable so I do not run aimlessly I do not box as one be in the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. So it says every athlete exercises self-control in all things. Uh, there's so many things that athletes exercise self-control over, right? I mean, diet, obviously exercise. Sleep, they, uh, they go to, uh, hardcore athletes go to bed at a very specific time and wake up at a very specific time. Actually, they, um, they run don't all eat. night, and then... They eat uh, very specific things, right? Very like specific oatmeal. foods. Uh, maybe oatmeal. Yeah, oatmeal's good. So, and that's, that's so that they can receive a perishable wreath, right? Like the glory on their head. He says, uh, they do it to receive... But we're doing it, Christians, we're disciplining our lives... For an imperishable wreath, right? And that wreath is salvation. Not that we're working for our salvation, but because we have it, we want to be useful slaves for God. Therefore, we got it. What in our life? What in our life should we withhold from that goal? Absolutely nothing, right? This goes along with what we were talking about when we were in in Matthew uh, 37, to love the Lord your God with all your heart all your soul and with all your mind everything about yourself everything in your life he doesn't run aimlessly not as a one boxes to beat the air uh, he says but I discipline my body and keep it under control lest I after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified see Paul is disciplining himself he disciplines uh, his body Keeps it under control. See, and MacArthur talks about this in one of his sermons as well. Uh, a disciplined life will influence a disciplined uh, spiritual life. So, if, if you you know discipline when you wake up, keep your area where you study nice and neat and tidy. Um, MacArthur says every once in a while he'll just tell himself, "No, you can't have that cookie," even though like it's there's nothing wrong with eating the cookie, right? But he'll just tell himself sometimes, like, no, you can't do that. Just to keep him, to remind himself that he's in control over his body. His body's not in control over him. And even though his body wants the cookie, he's going to tell his body, no, don't do that. Because he wants to uh, keep control over that. 
So areas of sin, whenever you're, you're tempted to sin, you have that mentality of saying, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to serve God right now. I'm going to worship Him instead of worshiping something else. Worship the Creator instead of the cre- uh, creature. So discipline for your body is important, right? But discipline for the sake of godliness is even more important because of it has eternity in view. We always talk about First Corinthians chapter 3, right? No one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation of gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become evident, or uh, manifest, for the day will disclose it. But it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. That's the gold, silver, and precious stones, right? That's the work that we do for God. Uh, if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. So he himself will be saved only as through fire. So we all do works, right? And at the judgment seat of Christ, when we're judged... Uh, as Christians, for the life that we lived, uh, whatever remains, that's the gold and silver and the precious stones when it goes through that fire. That's all the works that we do for God. And the work that burns up, all the stuff that goes through the fire and it gets burned up, that's the stuff that we, it's not necessarily sinful, but that's like when we, you know, we stayed home and played video games for four hours. Or that's Played when that's when or that's when you know we did something something else something that's not sinful but when we could have been using that time for God and what's it say if anyone's work is burned up he'll suffer loss what's that loss a lot of the people think, a lot of people think that that loss is suffering some sort of shame as they enter heaven knowing they could have done more they could have done more with their life as a Christian as a believer. Will that shame last forever? No. I don't think so. Because then talk about being shamed in heaven, right? Never-ending joy and happiness. But we will have that initial sense of shame as we enter heaven. So Paul says it's a trustworthy statement, right? And we should listen to it. Listen to it. So why do we do all these things? Why do we do all these things to uh, be a good, useful slave diakonos for God because we have a wonderful hope in Christ not a hope in the sense not hope in the sense that we would use it today like I really hope this happens I don't know if it will but I really hope it does but a hope in the sense of something that we are looking forward to something that we are sure that's going to happen that's our hope in Christ we are sure that Christ is going to come through on his promises. That's why, that's what motivates us to be a useful slave of God. He suffered and died for us. And we, because of that, we should want to live for him out of gratitude for him, right? He is living right now. He is alive. He rose again, and now he is seated on the right hand of God. That's why we have such a great hope. That's why we have such a great hope. Now, doing this things, doing this is also the assurance that our salvation is genuine. If we do these things, it 
is an assurance for us and for other people as well who see it that our salvation is genuine, that it's real salvation, right? First um, John two three through six. That's First John two three through six says, and by this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this that we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way that he walked. You know, I get a lot, a lot of questions, people asking me uh, a lot of times, like, how can I know I'm saved? How can I really truly know that I'm saved? And usually I'll go through the gospel, make sure they understand every aspect of it. Um, but guys, First John, if you guys ever have that question, First John is a wonderful place to go for that. Um, the whole book is about the assurance uh, of salvation. It helps us understand if we uh, truly are saved or not. Uh, and this one where it talks about if, if we're... If we say that we know Him, but we're not doing anything to try and keep keep uh, His commandments, we're lying to ourselves, to others, to God. But if we're keeping His Word, then the love of God is perfected. And we abide in Him, right? So, that's a quick, quick version of that. So why does Paul add, especially of believers, at the end right here, He says, uh, in verse 10, he says, Who is the Savior of all men? Well, let me start at the beginning of verse 10. It says, For it is for this we labor and strive, because we have fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. Isn't that weird? Savior of all men, especially of believers. There are two possible explanations here. Uh, one of them is that everyone here refers to every ethnicity uh, and especially could be translated namely. So he's saying that every believer, regardless of their ethnicity. Now, if you read, to me, if I read that, uh, all men, especially believers, I don't know if I really see that. Even though it's true, uh, the second explanation is that God is saving everybody in the sense that they're not being punished for their sins at this moment in time. He says uh, he's a savior of all men. He's not uh, punishing everybody for their sins at this very moment. And so when he says especially of believers, means that those who are truly saved have had their, the penalty of their sins removed completely. Uh, I, I, I tend to incline towards the second option. Um, and then if we read verse 11, verse 11, he says, prescribe and teach these things. One of you guys, who read that one for me? Was it Sammy? You read it, right? Verse 11. I think it actually said command, right? Your, your version said command these things. Um, so prescribe, uh, in the Greek, it literally means command. Command these things. Command and teach these things. So teach these things boldly. Have a boldness in the way you teach these things. 
Of course, we we have to get we got to find a balance. At a time that we preach things boldly, and time to gently lay a message before somebody, um, depending on the situation. In this current situation, though, Paul's saying, teach these things boldly. Let them have it. So, in conclusion, let us, everybody who, who heard this today, and all believers, let us strive to teach the Word of God. Let us strive to teach the Word of God, to be constantly, constantly nourished by the Word of God, to be diligent in our study of the Word of God, to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. Remember and remember the pur- that the purpose that we do this is because of our great hope in Christ, so that we can be diakonoi, which is the plural of diakonos, useful slaves for Christ. So let's prescribe and teach these things. Let me pray. Lord God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you, God, that you love us. Thank you for your word. God, thank you that you made us slaves of you. And in so doing, you have truly set us free, God. Um, Lord, if, if there's anybody in here who's still under the bondage and the slavery of sin, God, we pray that you would uh, change their hearts, God. Help them to rely on you. Help them to repent of their sins and turn to you. Give their whole heart to you, God, their whole lives. And worship you as the one and only true God. We pray that for each and every one of us in here, Lord, um, that we would worship you as the one and only true God in everything that we do in our lives. God, I pray that you would help us to put away lying. I pray that you would help us to put away the, the anger that we might struggle with, God. Help us to put away... The, the sexual immorality, God. Help us to put away the bad language. All these things, Lord, and help us to put on you, your son, God. I pray that you would help us to uh, be uh, perfect uh, representations of who a servant of you should be, Lord God. I pray that you would help us to uh, be just like Christ, just like you, God. We thank you for everything that you've done. Thank you for your goodness and your grace to us that you show us every single day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. I really hope this message was helpful, and I also hope that you'll share this podcast with others who either attended or visited the youth group. And please feel free to share these messages with others as well if you uh, think of anybody else who would benefit. And above all, please take time to remember to trust in God today. He will not let you down.